everybody and welcome to a new episode of Evie's Korean Drama Podcast Show. My name is Evie, I'm your host, and I am a K-drama obsessive. So this is the show where I waffle on about all of the K-drama that I love. If you'd like to support the show, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Evie Korean Drama Podcast. There you will find extra podcast episodes and updates on what I'm watching at the moment. Also, just before I get started, please be warned that I do swear a little bit on this show when I get excited. And when I'm talking about K-drama, I always get excited. Alright, so I thank you very, very much for listening and let's get on with the K-drama show. Welcome to episode 3 of the Lee Evie Korean Drama Show. Uh, today I am super excited to be talking about one of my favouritest, most favourite dramas of all time, which is, in my opinion, just the biggest underrated gem that no one ever seems to talk about, uh, Tamra, the Island. Uh, this drama is a historical sagok, so it's set in the 17th century, and for the majority of the drama it takes place on Jeju Island. Um, this drama, I can't believe it when I looked it up, it actually came out in 2009, so <laughs> 10 years ago this aired. At the time, it was actually a pre-produced drama, which I, I, I think back then was quite unusual. Um, I know these days, you know, having pre-produced dramas, like I guess a lot of the big buzzworthy and, um, you know, higher budget dramas are pre-produced now. But I know back then it was a little bit more unusual. I'm not really sure why it was pre-produced, um, except maybe, you know, a lot of it was set on location and shot on location in Jeju. And I think it would have been very, very hard to sort of keep to, I guess, the time limits uh, that the kind of shoot-as-you-go dramas would be facing on a week-to-week basis. So maybe it had something to do with that location. Uh like I was saying, I think this is an underrated drama, but more than that, when it aired, I guess no one really watched it at all. Uh, it actually, so when it got pre-produced, it got set up with 20 episodes, uh, but during its airing time, it got cut to 16. It always makes me really sad to hear that because it really is just the most beautiful story. And I think it struggled, in my opinion, because the first episode is absolutely bonkers like it is nuts and I can see a lot of people picking the show up watching that first episode and then just like clicking it off because it's such a different tone to the rest of the whole drama it's like madcap comedy silliness um, everyone is really goofy and there is about a thousand toilet jokes it's all really weird and then the second episode starts and the drama really hits into a groove which is, you know, it's still, it's cute and it's fun. It's not like a super serious sagok or anything, but it, it does have this beautiful underlying themes and um, these lovely ideas and it, it's quite an understated story. Um, so it's so strange to open with such an odd, like in tone, I guess, first episode, um, particularly, I guess, because it is pre-produced and you'd think they could kind of iron out that real difference in tone, um, you know, before they aired it. 
But unfortunately, I think, I think that first episode um, is probably one of the reasons that it had such a low viewership when it aired. Um, and it did get cut down to only 16. Um, I have seen this drama a few times now. I'm not going to tell you how many times. Uh, so I've watched both the 20 episode version and the 16 episode and both are just fantastic. You know, so if you haven't seen it, I definitely, definitely recommend you watch Tamra the Island and um, give it a go. Whichever version you can get your hands on, like to be honest, both are fantastic. Um, obviously, the long one's best because there's more of it and it's so great. But I don't think if you can only get your hands on a 16 episode, I, I don't think, you know, you're going to be missing out on any of the major, most beautiful moments of the show. Okay, so just to give you sort of a bare bones overview of the story, just in case you haven't seen it, um, it's set on Jeju Island in, I guess, the 1600s. And it's a really interesting historical sort of setting because at this time um, in Korean history, the well, and from that time up until even today, actually, uh, these women work on Jeju as divers and they dive for abalone in the ocean. And it's quite a famous, um, yeah, I guess like a really famous cultural thing because it's quite unusual. Um, the history of it I find very fascinating, but in this story, uh, a very young woman is a abalone diver on Jeju. She's part of, you know, just a poor community of commoners um, in a little village. Uh, everything's very idyllic and beautiful, but obviously they have to work, you know, insanely hard to gather enough to pay tribute to the king and the government as they have to do. Um, the main character is Bojin, and one day... This dude washes up on the beach uh, from a shipwreck and she saves his life. Now, this dude happens to be an English shipwrecked victim. And back in those days, uh, Korea was very, very closed off and foreigners were like just not a good thing at all. And you didn't want to be a foreigner in Korea, I suppose, back then. Uh, so she hides him from everyone uh, because she's worried for his safety. Uh, so that's kind of what kicks off the whole story. And the story then evolves into kind of a grander scale plot, I suppose, um, with merchants who are trying to open uh, Korea's trade routes. And um, the main male lead, played by Im Ju-hwan, uh, whose name in this is Park Kyu, who is sort of um, trying to investigate and solve, like, you know, this big sort of not a crime ring I guess well maybe actually when I think about it um the the villain in this isn't doing anything good so yeah he's he's kind of like a police officer I suppose and he's trying to investigate so there's some goofy storylines there's some more serious you know like plotty kind of stories um but the main reason I think that this drama owns my heart is the love story I think the love story in this is very very romantic and even though one pointy end of this love triangle is literally a French actor pretending to be an English man who has a peroxide yellow mullet thing sticking on his head. Um, the love triangle still really, really works. It is very, very impactful and it just moves my heart. And yeah, I think when I talk about love stories in Korean dramas, this would be absolutely one of my top ones ever, which is pretty high praise because there's a lot that I love. This drama uh, is also based on a Korean manhwa, 
which I have never managed to read myself. Um, back when I first saw this drama, um, I did you know, try and look for it online, but there, there weren't really any translated versions available, um, translated into English, so I couldn't read it. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, it's been a long time since then, so perhaps it is available now, I'm not sure, but I imagine that would be a pretty cool read because the story is really good fun. And probably William's peroxide yellow mullet thing is not so prominent in, in the drawn version of the manoir, perhaps. Um, so I guess next up, I'm just going to, you know, get going with my whole discussion. But I just wanted to sort of give you the structure of how I'm going to do it, which is basically 10 things to love about Tamra. Number one reason to love Tamra the Island Korean drama is the setting. It is set on Jeju Island, which I have never been to, but I really, really want to go. Um, it is so beautiful. I love watching Korean dramas, but I do think because of the whole film as you go um, kind of structure that, you know, a lot of the entertainment industry revolves around, uh, sometimes, you know, editing and things like cinematography, um, they can really sort of be pushed to the wayside. And like, I totally get that. If you are filming a show because it's going to air like next week, probably, you know, making sure the shot is framed like a painting or photography is not exactly going to be your highest focus. You're not really going to care. You just want it to be on TV when it needs to be on TV. So I guess the beauty of watching something that is pre-produced is that I think sometimes the quality of... The way it looks, um, which then I think translates into an atmosphere through the editing and the way each shot is framed and just how careful they are to make to make this, this show look beautiful. You know, it, it just creates such a treat to watch. Um, so for me, it, it really came together with with the cinematography. So the way that the show looks. Um, but the atmosphere is also created by the music, which I think is wonderful, and editing, all that kind of stuff, I think is lovely. Um, I think it's going to be really strange hearing me say, you know, all these poignant things about how beautiful it is um, if you're literally sitting there watching the first episode, which is crazy. I'm kind of mean the show as, an, as a whole, you know, as a whole, you know, it's really lovely and the atmosphere is really wonderful. Um, obviously Jeju itself is just so beautiful and I think the show really really takes advantage of that. It's filmed in a folk village, um, so like a Joseon era um, village I guess, and that is really beautiful. That's one of the reasons you know that I love watching Sagoks and historical Korean dramas is just the opportunity to get to see to see these places, you know, I love looking at um, the Hanok houses and the clothes and just the way that things look um, can be really, really stunning. And the attention to detail, I suppose, in the costuming and all that. Um, yeah, it's, it's really lovely. I'm talking like, you know, f stretching fields of yellow flowers wavering in the wind and this, um, you know, this beautiful volcanic rock mountain just jutting out of the landscape and, you know, obviously all, all the mountain scenes and just the crashing ocean. And so much of this drama, um, particularly the first half of the drama, is filmed, you know, in the water or on these beaches. And um, yeah, it's, it's really beautiful to watch.
The second reason to watch this show, I think, is the history of it. It is very, very fascinating. Um, so the drama is set on Jeju and it's, it kind of revolves around um, these diving women. So in Korean, I'm probably going to you know mispronounce this, uh, but they're Henyo. Henyo, um, and they're saying that literally is sea women. So these female divers um, of Jeju are very, very famous. I didn't know, but apparently, um, you know, quite a few different islands also off Korea had the same sort of setup, I guess, with these women that were diving. But I think the interesting thing about it, um, which is really portrayed in this drama, um, probably not completely historically accurate, I think think from what I understand um, but because of this role that these women had in their community as you know basically a breadwinner or you know abalone winner or whatever um, they ended up with a bit more power in their you know sort of old school society than I think um, you know the rest of the mainland women in the rest of the mainland of Korea would have experienced at that time in Joseon uh, history or you know a lot of women around the world in, in you know most cultures histories so that's quite interesting um in the show they really show that um Bojin who's the main character her community is really centered around the women her mother is the head diver and therefore the head of the entire village. She is, she's the leader, she's the one with the power, which is so unusual, particularly in, you know, uh, Confucianism sort of Korea um, of that time, which was a very patriarchal sort of um, structure. So um, I found that really, it's really fun to watch as a historical. It's very different, you know. Um, and in Bojin's village, you know, her father is, he's the prettiest man in the village. And that's why he's married to her mother, who's the strongest woman. She might not be the most beautiful, but in their sort of community, that's not what they care about. It's her skill. So I, I guess it's this, this massive role reversal, which is really, really fun. Um, and the women are the ones who make all the decisions. The women are the ones who, you know, I guess choose the husbands and the husbands stay home and look after the kids and, you know, get food and stuff like that. Um, I've done a, a tiny bit of reading about um, the henyo and that kind of thing. I mean, I don't know much at all, but my understanding is maybe it's not completely accurate for Jeju. I think maybe some of the really tiny islands off Jeju and some of the other islands maybe along the coast um, off the mainland did have, um, you know, I guess less touched sort of societies than Jeju. Jeju is quite a big island and there's still a lot of um, government structure and things. So maybe on the smaller islands, um, some of those little communities really did uh, kind of move into this new matriarchal sort of society. And I read very interesting that, yeah, the women were the leaders, um, the men would stay home and look after the kids. Um, but even more than that, if a man was marrying a woman, he would have to provide her family with a dowry. Um, you know, like he's sort of the, you know, the one that needs to be looked after. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. I thought it was, it's kind of a, a fun, interesting role reversal. So I really like the way this show explores that sort of community through Bojin, um, but through her parents and just all the other characters and the kind of things that are important to them and not important to them. Um, I don't think it's probably that 
accurate, I think, for Jeju. Um, I think they probably did sort of swing towards women having more power um, and, you know, a higher sort of stance or status in their community than women on the mainland and in the more traditional structure would have had. But I think maybe this more extreme version that we get to see in the drama, which is so much fun to watch, um, wouldn't really have been the case for Jeju Island itself, is my understanding. Uh, because there was, you know, there's just more government structure and the um, Confucianism and that kind of stuff was obviously more predominant um, on this huge island uh, than little tiny ones. But, you know, maybe there were certain places that were a bit more like what the show is um, kind of displaying. So it's a very, very interesting um, piece of history. And, you know, the Henryu are, I guess they're just a part of Korea's living culture now. They're so famous. If you go to Jeju, there is a million tours and different things to do so that you can sort of come into contact with this part of Korean history that is still living now. Um, although, you know, obviously it's the kind of um, job that it, it's one of these older things that probably maybe now more exists as a tourism thing or older women still doing it because they did it when they were young. But it's a bit more of a hard thing for, I guess, young women in today's world to upkeep. So I guess it's one of those kind of incredible old dying parts of history that... Yeah, I guess there isn't really a place for that in the modern world. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed just that insight into the Hanyo and into this kind of altered structured life on Jeju Island, which, you know, before this drama wasn't anything that I knew about. And once again, just another example of how much you learn from watching historical dramas. <laughs> The third thing to love about this drama is Bojin herself. Bojin is the main character. Uh, she is played by the actress, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, So, I think. And uh, if you were just reading it in English, it'd be like Seo Wu, but I think it's like So. Um, she's really good in this. I really liked her. I, I, I liked her enough to start trying to watch her in other things, but I never really found something that stuck with me that she was in. And so I haven't really watched her, um, you know, in full in any other dramas. Um, but she's very charming and quite luminous, if that's the right word in this. Um, she's She plays this very young girl who's, you know, like I was saying, his, her mother is the lead diver, the head of the village, this really strong, tough woman who's everything that a Jeju um, diving woman should be. And her daughter, Bojin, who is destined to take her mother's place and take over her role in the community and her role as the leader of the divers, is the complete opposite. She is soft and she is sweet and she her head is lost in daydreams and um, she she just does not fit in and she knows it she's useless at everything that she should be good at um, she's not a hard strong person at all she is a dreamer and she is well aware that there is no true place for her on the island um, and the start of the drama is very much so about seeing her try her best to be the things that her community is is saying that she has to be and she does for the survival of her and her community her family her village she she needs to become this next head diver and be good at what she's doing 
and um, you know not embarrass and humiliate her mum she can't do it she's just not good at swimming and she can't hold her breath and she's scared Um, and I really I really liked it It, it's kind of interesting I think um, you know that uh, a girl I suppose in historical dramas being a fish out of water and not fitting into the society around her is quite a common sort of theme but I think usually when we're watching that in historical Korean dramas we're usually seeing a girl who's like a warrior type but they expect her to be a young lady or a girl who wants to learn and is book smart and wants to you know um, have all the knowledge in the world and yet has that blocked from her because she's a girl and I find it really interesting that in this drama we're giving this very um, women-centric sort of community where a very strong or you know headstrong smart or that type of woman that we normally see as a main character um, in a historical drama could really thrive in this environment. And yet we're given Bojin, who is the complete opposite. And I kind of feel like her, her sort of struggle in finding who she is and not being good at anything and not understanding how to fit in is almost the kind of struggle that we'd see in a modern drama with, you know, a modern young woman who doesn't know what job she wants and doesn't know how to live and how to relate and feels really out of sorts with the world that she's in. So it it seems to me like such a, you know, a familiar theme that we can all identify with so much and yet it's transferred back into a historical drama. And as much as I love historical dramas about cool warrior girls and like headstrong, you know, breaking the, the format kind of women, um, it's also nice and I guess easy to relate to um, a main character like Bojin, who is not good at anything and doesn't know what she wants and, and just feels like she doesn't fit in. I think that's such a universal theme that probably most people have identified with themselves at some point in their lives so I really liked her as a main character the other thing I guess about Bojin is that she's a very typical silly clumsy slightly dim girl so I think we've all seen these kind of girls in k-dramas where they're always tripping over their own feet and just doing really silly stuff and making the dumbest decisions all the time and just being a general you know, kind of nong, I guess. Um, And she is all of those things. And sometimes I do find that annoying in dramas. Um, You know, you want a girl to have a bit of agency and take control of her destiny and go and do something. Um, But in this drama, it it never bothered me because I felt like Bojin, her whole struggle is so internal and she tries really hard to do what she's meant to do, you know, externally as well with the diving. But she's useless. She just is. Um, She's not good at it. And I really liked watching, yeah, I guess that growth of her character as she slowly tries to figure out where she's meant to fit into the world. My number four reason to love Tamara the Island is the main male lead, Park Kyu. So he's played by the actor Im Ji Hwan, who uh, I don't know if this was his first lead role, actually, I'm not sure. Um, but I have seen him in quite a few dramas since then. He was playing lead roles for a little while and lately I think he's sort of gone back to second male lead roles. Um, I think he's wonderful. I 
sometimes you know you see an actor or an actress in a drama and you love the drama or their character so much that you will follow them watch them in other dramas and Im Ju Hwan was sort of like that but I think he's never really kind of got me so much in other dramas and I just think it's that case of the perfect actor to play the perfect role in this drama. I love him in this show. His character Park Yu is just, I think, one of the best and most romantic male leads like ever in a Korean drama. I think he's so wonderful. His character journey is, you know, it's an utterly average sort of K-drama character journey realistically. At the beginning of the drama he is um, he's a very high up noble whilst Bojin is you know she's a very low commoner. So he is from sort of the upper Yangban classes in Hanyang in the capital. He's you know done you know hung out with the king and all the officials and his dad is this really high up official guy. So he's an important dude. He's grown up in one of the top families in the capital city and he's had the highest education and he can, you know, he's learnt martial arts and he's just the best at everything. Um, but hilariously, when he turns up to Jeju, he turns up as an exile and he's been exiled or so all the guards tell Bojin and her family and all the commoners because of sexual harassment towards young women. So that's pretty embarrassing. Um, for quite a while, that's the story that everyone says about him. But it's pretty clear from very early on that Park Yu has different reasons for being there and that perhaps he hasn't really done the things they're saying he has and it's an excuse. So it turns out that he's actually a royal investigator who's there on behalf of the king to try and look into this merchant plot where um, a lot of the king's uh, sort of tribute goods are getting just well, disappearing. Uh, so I really I like, you know, basically he's a spy. He's an undercover spy, which straight away is very, very cool. Sometimes it does feel like he's operating, particularly in the first half of the drama, in a completely different drama to Bojin. Bojin's kind of like dealing with all these you know, universal theme struggles of who am I and how do I fit and she's bumbling around and just being generally very, very silly and very sweet and lovely and charming. And Park Yu is off solving mysteries, like high stakes mysteries and having like nighttime battles and um, being a spy and sneaking into stuff and, you know, investigating um, so I really, I really liked it. He's, it's almost like he's in this really serious other drama. But then whenever he comes together with Bojin, um, the two just descend into absolute petty squabbling and bickering. And he's sort of like, he's not so cool <laughs> in those instances. Um, so Park Yu, like I was saying, is the typical cold kind of male lead in one of these dramas. He's a big richy rich and he thinks he is so much better than everyone else. But the wonderful thing, um, which, you know, I think is one of the things K-dramas are so good at, is that whole character role reversal sort of thing. So Park Yu begins a certain way. And obviously, as the drama progresses, he goes through one of just the most wonderful character transformations into being this incredible young man who you just want the world for. He's such a good, wonderful person. And yet at the beginning, you know, he's a complete idiot. He's an absolute jerk. He thinks he's better than everyone. But it's so much fun watching him integrate into the community and get to know the villagers and Bojin. 
And um, obviously, Bojan's mother, who runs the community, um, has this young nobleman or haughty turn up at her door and living in her house. And he thinks that she's going to, you know, serve him and do everything for him. And she's just like, you are a freaking exile criminal. Like, shut the fuck up. And she doesn't do anything that he ever asks her. So straight away, he gets a real, you know, crashing down to earth sort of moment. And at first, you know, he's generally just hates everyone and is really annoyed. But little by little, he starts to see that the villagers are struggling, that there's a whole different world um, in the lower classes that he has never even bothered to think about for a moment. And on top of that, he, I, th- I think him and Bojin, they have this really great sort of bickering, you know, kind of love to hate sort of thing where they just both, I think, really adore picking at each other and yelling at each other and fighting. And um, I think in a way... It's sort of that which leads to this really solid friendship between them where they learn to trust each other um, completely and utterly. And for Parku, at least, that very quickly turns into love. And I think that's because for him, this whole experience of going to Jeju Island has just ultimately changed his entire perspective about the world it's changed how he feels about the lower classes about how he feels about how he should be treating other people and relating to other people and the idea that just because you're a lower class doesn't mean you're not a person and Bojin and his relationship with Bojin is so tied up in it all and he can't help but notice her you know her struggles and her kindness and just be drawn to her I also think because of the way that they are together at the start of the drama you know they just bicker and fight and kind of shove each other and it just it's very it's very cute and funny but I also think it's one of those cases where you know the walls have just come down between them immediately and even though it's kind of like a bickering hate sort of thing at the same time Park Yu never would have ever kind of had that sort of relationship with a woman before where he could just be himself and she was just being herself and they're both just dealing with it they both see each other at each other's worst all the time even though yeah I mean Pakyu is really terrible at the start of the drama I was about to say he has no worse because he's so great but more towards the end of the drama he's so great at the start you know he's a right douche to be honest The next thing to love about this show is the character of William. So I'm pretty sure everyone who has ever seen this drama is wondering why I'm including William on the list of things to love and not the list of things to just be like utterly perplexed by. Um, (laughs) To be honest, the first time I watched this show, I was like, who is this guy? Like, this is the worst thing ever. And I have to imagine that he probably was another reason that some people started watching this drama and didn't continue. He is bonkers. He's absolutely bonkers. But I have watched this show a lot, um, many, many times. And little by little, the character of William has really kind of, I guess, got beneath my skin. And I've started to understand his place and his role in the story, but also the sweetness of his character. And that as, that's, as a person, he is he's really good. He is really likable. Um, he is someone to care about, in my opinion. But yes, he... <laughs> okay, so William plays the character of this British shipwrecked survivor who washes up on the shore and Bojin saves him. 
Bojan and him immediately fall into kind of a puppy dog love. Um, it is, it's once you get past the hair. Okay, so William is played by a French actor whose name, and I don't speak French, so I'm sure I'm going to say this wrong, Pierre Deporte. Deporte? Deporte? I don't know. Pierre. But Pierre, the Frenchiest French name that ever Frenched. And he, in this drama, is playing an Englishman. So the drama keeps reminding you that he is a British dude from England. And then the actor Pierre opens his mouth and he speaks in a, a very, very heavy French accent. So, I mean, for anyone who, you know, English as... It's very distracting, you know, it's very, very odd and weird. Um, and also, the drama stylist has styled this poor actor as um, he has this absolutely bonkers peroxide yellow mullet thing stuck to his head. And I'll tell you that it is very, very distracting. Like, it is weird. Um, the, the character of William, uh, the the drama opens with him still in England and basically what you get is a whole bunch of shouty Europeans who I'm not sure about their acting abilities and it's all very cringy. Like it's like you're like, oh, stop. Um, but then it just keeps going and it just gets weirder and weirder and sillier and then the toilet humor comes in. And then he washes ashore on Jeju and, you know, that stuff kind of continues for a while, which is just great. Um, but once you get past the weirdness of the start and the weirdness of the blonde thing on his head and the French accent, once you get past those things, his character is a good, sweet character. Um, the idea is that William has grown up in Britain, not France, Britain, um, as a fish out of water, just the same as Bojin has. He, he's from a rich upper crust family and he doesn't like the things that they like and he doesn't care about those things. He is equally as silly and dim as Bojin. So in a way, they do make a lovely couple. <laughs> um, he's, but I guess the thing is that when they meet, there is a connection there. They both recognize, even despite the language barriers between them, I don't mean French and Korean, uh, English and Korean, uh, they still manage to recognize that there is a kindred spirit in each other. They understand something deep and see something deep within each other that no one has ever recognized. And they understand the worth of it, the worth of having dreams and dreaming of something other than what, I guess, is the structure around you that you just cannot fit in. They're both like, you know, the wrong puzzle pieces in their world. And once you get past all the crazy stuff, it is a very tender and sweet, I guess, young romance that blossoms between them. Um, it's kind of like, I suppose, that idea of their soulmates. And I think... It's not platonic, I think. They do love each other. Um, they really care strongly about each other. And Bojin sees William as an escape, an absolute escape. She is planning to go off to England or France or wherever with this guy, William. She wants to get away. And um, they make each other happy, like really happy, as in, I like you the way that you are. And even though everyone else in the world tells you that you shouldn't be that way, that's how I like you. 
And it is very moving. It's very, very sweet. Um, the character of William, as the show goes on, he, I guess, has his own progressions and character developments, but they're not as good. He starts off very, very naive and innocent and sweet and dim and idiotic and silly. And as the show goes on, he comes up against the harsher realities of life. And even though he becomes less naive, sort of, he's still as dim and silly as he always was. So he makes really bad decisions and he decides things about other people that he shouldn't, uh, mainly Park Yu. You know, he thinks Park Yu has done some terrible things later on, which Park Yu would never do. And if he knew Park Yu at all, would know that. Um, and I didn't mind it, actually, as a character transformation. The thing that I did like about when William sort of gets silly and decides everyone's against him and all that stuff is that he has been through these horrific experiences. So it is explained. It's not like totally bonkers character shift out of nowhere. But it, the thing that's good about it is it doesn't just turn William into an evil who goes too far and like does anything completely unredeemable. Um, he, by the end of the drama, he's, he's sort of done a full circle and he might be a tiny, tiny bit wiser than he was. Um, but he's not a bad person and he hasn't gone full evil or anything like that. He just has some darker moments, um, when he realizes the world is pretty awful and, um, you know, because he's so silly, he sort of reacts wrongly because of those. Um, so even though he's a bonkers character, I decided to still add him on the list of things to love because of his place in the very sweet romance with Bojin and I guess the initial thing that begins to make her happy for the first time in her life and make her feel like she belongs. The sixth reason to love the show is the romance. Um, I'm not going to go into it like super, super in detail because I've actually written a really long review about it, which I'm going to post in a couple days. So that'll be on my website if you're listening to this, um, where I kind of charted, I think, just the beats of that, the development of the love story, because I wanted to explore it um, in greater depth. I'm a writer, so I think quite often when I watch shows and watch um, the development of relationships in shows, I like to sort of explore and kind of peel back the layers and figure out, I think, why characters do what they do or when are the points where their feelings turn towards each other or change or develop, um, you know, just what are the beats in the relationship and, and why is it so romantic, you know, what is it that makes that storyline work so well? So that's kind of what I've done in the review. I've sort of just blathered on about that for a bit. So if you are interested, you can go check that out. But I guess for now, as an overview, um, you know, this romance is, it is the kind of slow burn, you know, so slow burn love story um, that just gets my heart. You know, this love story is the reason that I watch Korean dramas and I continue to come back for more and more and more for years and years. And even though dramas sometimes, you know, they recycle the same sort of formulas and there's so many tropes and so many character types that we see over and over, there's something about them that always expresses something new or hooks you in a different way. And there's always something new to discover and feel. 
for me, the reason I love K-dramas and the romances in them so much is because they take so much time to develop the characters and develop their relationship and develop how they get to know each other better and, you know, connect with each other. Which I think is always the downside in a lot of, you know, Western um, TV shows that I watch is that I feel like whenever they do the romances, it's like instant love and the characters will just see each other and suddenly they're in love and they're willing to die for each other. And I'm like, you guys don't even know each other. But then you watch a show like this and you watch this utter slow burn agony of Parku's feelings developing into love, developing into the most painful unrequited thing that ever existed and you understand every aspect of that and it the feelings of it and the emotions that run so deep you know um and I just I love to be able to watch something that feels so true um you know I feel like these characters when the drama ends Bojin and Parkyu are literally going to get married and they're going to live together forever and they'll have whatever issues they have but they're in love and so often when I watch a western drama you know and the characters just like fall in love in two minutes and then the movie ends or the show ends and you're like there's no way that those characters would stay together they would break up in two minutes because they haven't even spent any time together you know they've just seen each other across a room and suddenly they're star-crossed lovers or whatever you know Next up for number seven, I wanted to talk about the relationship between Bojin and her mum and Parkyu and Bojin's mum. So Bojin's mum is played by the actress Kim Mi Kyung. Uh, she's not an actress that I know by name, but I know her by face. She's in literally everything and she is wonderful. She is an absolutely wonderful actress. I like her so much. She is incredible in this show. Um, she's just one of my favorite characters in a drama that's populated with wonderful characters. She plays, you know, the lead diver, the head of the village, this very strong, hard woman who never shows emotion on her face and everyone is slightly terrified of her. And her and Bojin have this most complex and fraught with tension kind of relationship because her mother is putting a lot of pressure on Bojin to be, you know, what be like her mother, I suppose. Um, but she only does this out of love because the world is a harsh place and her mother is afraid. She's afraid for her daughter. If her mother, you know, is gone in the future, how will Bojin, as she puts it, be able to provide for a husband? How will she be able to attract a husband? How will she be able to live in the society that she lives in? So even though Bojin's mother is very harsh on her, it comes from a place of utter love. And I just really loved the way that their relationship is very slowly and tentatively explored um, from how, you know, they just yell at each other all the time when they're on Jeju. Um, but later on, the drama moves to Hanyang and Bojin ends up, you know, living and working in a market and her mother follows her. And it's very moving that her mother goes. Her mother loves this girl and um, they have these very, very tender moments. Um, things are quite awkward between them and Bojin ends up, you know, expressing herself and, and Bojin by this point in the drama is just going through such a crisis of feeling. You know, she has 
for so long been one track mind towards William and wanting to just disappear into, you know, over the seas with him and has only cared about him. And she is so distraught by the fact that her emotions are changing and that she is very, very slowly realizing and fighting the realization that she is in love with Park Yoo. And there is an absolute beautiful scene um, where, you know, Bojan's mother can tell that her daughter is suffering and they drink together in their little Hanok house in the marketplace. And Bojan just cries and cries as she attempts to attempts to explain what has gone wrong inside her. Um, she's made this promise to William and she is it's killing her inside that emotionally she doesn't feel that she can fulfill the promise because if she does, she thinks she might just sort of break apart because the truth is she's in love with someone else. Um, and that is how you do a real love triangle. <laughs> anyway, back to Bojin's mum. So Bojin's mum also has an absolutely wonderful relationship in this drama with Park Yu. You know, Park Yu turns up to her village an absolute pompous douche and through his relationship with her, you know, they both come to respect each other massively, which is from where their character trajectories start, it's almost unbelievable that they managed to do that. Um, and I think part of that is through both of them caring so much about Bojin and recognising that within each other, that um, they're able to connect and grow this really beautiful to watch, deep respect for each other. So I just adored Bojin's mum. Number eight to love this drama is um, Kim Yoo Jung. So Kim Yoo Jung is in this drama. <laughs> she plays uh, Bo Jin's younger sister and she's such a baby in this show. So it's 10 years ago. I'm not sure how old she is now, but she must be like 19 or 20. So she's just a tiny thing in this. You just want to grab her cheeks and like squeeze them. She is adorable. So Kim Yoo Jung is, you know, I guess one of the, the next generation of big actresses. She's one of the younger generation. Uh, she was in the you know, super famous kind of fantasy or what do they call those? Like youth saguks, youth fusion saguks. I think it was um, Moonlight Drawn by Moonlight Drawn by Clouds. So that was a hugely famous and successful show. Um, I think that might have even been her first lead role. And since then, she's also in the just aired um, Cleaning Passion for Now, whatever that was called. Uh, which I couldn't quite watch to the end, but I did enjoy the first few episodes. Um, I really like her as an actress. I, I mean, obviously, she's such a beautiful young woman, um, so she's lovely to watch. Um, and I think she's a wonderful actress as well. Um, so I really like, you know, going back and re-watching older dramas and suddenly you recognise faces who go on to be, you know, super famous and lead actresses or actors. Um, Kim Yoo Jung, I really, really like. But she sort of debuted at the same time um, as another actress, Kim So-hyun. And Kim So-hyun uh, starred with her in that other really famous saguk, um, which I totally know the name of and have now forgotten. It was The Moon Embracing the Sun, which of course was such a, an absolutely massive drama. She played um, a younger version. Uh, so Kim So-hyun played the younger sort of 
girl antagonist and Kim Yoo-jung played the younger uh, female lead of that drama. Um, I watched that drama along with everyone else and really, really enjoyed it. And I remember those two young actresses really standing out. Um, but as the years have progressed and they've both started taking on lead roles, um, I have just, I love Kim So-hyun. She is my ultimate, absolute favorite actress. So even though I love Kim Yoo-jung, um, you know, Kim So-hyun is just, she's my favorite. <laughs> I will follow her to any drama she does. Number nine. So there's another side character in this drama that I thought is worth mentioning. Um, I really like him. His name is Yan or Yan. Uh, so he is, he has a complicated history. So basically he's Korean, uh, but he's pretending to be Japanese and he's working for the Dutch East India Company, uh, which was trading all around the world at that time and like almost like a huge conglomerate or something. Um, his, he's, he kind of just skirts around on the side of all of the dramas that are going on and the plot that's going on. And basically, Jan's whole mission throughout the drama is just to stop William from dying because William is so sweetly dim and idiotic that Jan just basically follows him around. And Jan is this just like, you know, real stone-faced, frustrated, so annoyed at where he is and why he's there and how stupid this guy is that he's trying to sort of rein in all the time. And it's actually really, really amusing to watch. As far as side characters go, I think he's really, really good. He's always popping in and out of the drama. He you know, pops off to Japan and he pops off onto like, you know, the ships with the Dutch East India Company and um, kind of turns up and saves people when people need saving. And he's just always very frustrated at everybody and sort of hates everybody. But he keeps coming back and he keeps helping everybody when they most need it. Um, he's quite a charming side character. And I kind of felt um, when I finished watching this that they could even just extend his whole story. I was like, I'd really like to watch this guy just going off on you know, missions around the world on a sailing ship and, and solving problems and just being generally annoyed at everything that ever happens to him. So I really liked his character. Um, he obviously is a representative of the Dutch East India Company. Um, and that, like, I, I don't know much about it at all, but when I was sort of just trying to look into it um, and just do a bit of reading about it, I actually found this interesting story of this Dutch guy um, who in the 1600s, his name was Hendrik Hamel, he and a bunch of other dudes who were part of this same company actually did get shipwrecked onto Jeju Island. So this is the 1600s and they got kept on Jeju Island by, you know, the district magistrate for about a year and then eventually shipped up to Seoul, or I guess maybe Seoul was Hanyang at that point, um, to meet the king. And um, basically their experience in Korea seems to have very much so mirrored that of um, William in the way that he's been written in the manhwa. So I wonder if, um, if yeah, if William's kind of story in the manhwa was sort of based on, on this guy. So that's really interesting, I thought. This is it. The number 10 reason why you should watch Tamara the Island is the romance. I'm pretty sure I already said that. I'm kind of cheating, actually. But to be honest, it is my 
absolute favorite thing about this show, which has so many wonderful different elements um, and different things to love about it. But for me, it is the love story. It is the perfect Korean love story. It's so slow burn and so moving. Um, you should definitely watch it <laughs> if you like. Uh, and I presume, you know, I, I know there's probably a lot of people who watch Korean dramas who maybe aren't as, you know, romance obsessed or into the love stories. But I kind of find that a little bit hard to believe just because so many shows, or I think the majority of shows do seem to center around or at least have elements of a pretty solid love story in them. Um, so to be honest, I guess that is one of the reasons that I get so drawn to Korean dramas, you know, over and over again. It's just the careful groundwork that they put into their relationship development of the romantic love stories. Um, I just find them so moving and so different from the way these elements are explored um, in Western stuff, which just never seems to hook in my heart quite as much. Well, that's it. That was the, the 10 reasons to love Tamara the Island. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening and I hope if you haven't seen it, it might inspire you to give it a go. Um, if you do give it a go, just, just, just deal with that first episode. I know it's not great. I know it's, it's really cringy and there's a lot of awkwardness. Um, but just push through and, and see if you can get into this show because I feel that once it sort of hits its stride, um, it is something very, very special. For me, it's a five out of five star review. My random thing of the week is kind of related to Tamara Island um, or just in general to Saguk dramas. So I don't know if you've watched a few, if you've ever noticed, but I have a major, major issue when the actors in Saguk dramas, they, you can see their like short hair sticking out the back of their like gat hats. So, you know, they have the, I think it's called a mangyon, mangyon um, black band across their foreheads. And obviously they have the wig, which has the top knot, but you can see their short hair sticking out the back. And I know this is so petty, but when I watch a Joseon set drama, it's like, you know, the costumes are amazing and the scenery and you get the houses and everything's so, you know, beautiful and done so well and it looks all historically accurate. And then you get the main male lead walking around with his short modern hairstyle, like sticking out the back of his hat. And I don't know why it frustrates me so much, but every time I see it, it reminds me that I'm watching an actor, you know, instead of watching a character who lived in Joseon times. Um, so yeah, I find it really frustrating. It's one of those really stupid things that I shouldn't even notice and for some reason do. I'd be so interested to, to know if anyone else notices this. Um, the reason that I, I brought it up today is because um, in Tamara the Island, the actor Im Ju Hwan, who plays Park Yu, he obviously grew his hair out for the part and so he, he wore it up, you know, like all tucked up at the back. And I've just got to say, I really appreciate that. It was a nice touch and it was good to watch a drama where I wasn't constantly like, oh, that guy's got a modern haircut under a wig. Um, another drama where the guy obviously grew his hair out and did the same is A Rung in the Magistrate, which is one of my other totally favorite dramas. I love it. Lee uh, Jun-ki plays the main character in that. And funnily enough, 
From scene to scene, his hair is either short and modern or up and grown long. Um, because obviously, I know they don't shoot a drama completely consecutively. You know, they go back and do reshoots or they do whatever and they probably shoot things out of order. But it's very, very funny at the start of that drama to, from one shot to the next in the same scene, see um, Lee Jung-ki's hair kind of like into sticking out the back of his, um, you know, his hat or tucked up underneath his magistrate uniform. And it just keeps like flipping back and forth. Uh, but I do really appreciate that both of those actors, you know, they went the extra mile for their roles. It was very nice. So I added these new sections into my Korean drama show. The first one was a random thing, which is what I just talked about, which was quite random. I'm sure you agree. And this next section, um, just really short, I just wanted to talk about something that I'm loving this week. So um, this is definitely a Korean drama show, but I also quite like Chinese dramas and I've been watching one recently called When We Were Young, which is like a youth, a youth high school drama. It's very, very lovely and gentle and quiet. But one of the characters had um, some really lovely quotes in it and one of them particularly really spoke to me. So I thought I might just record it here because why not? It was something that I really, really loved this week. So the quote is this, I just want to tell you that everyone lives in an imperfect life. You have to first learn to accept life's injustices in order to better appreciate its beauty. And that is it. I thought it was beautiful and I thought it was very moving. So I wanted to share it as one of the things that I loved this week. 